Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Hopeful Moments Podcast. My plan today through transparency and truth, sharing my experiences, answering your questions, growing in my own strength will, I pray, be a benefit to someone somewhere. Now I need to be truly true to who I am and who I'm called to be, and I want every moment today, every moment we spend together to be full of hope. I am ready. Are you ready? All right, let's talk. Have you ever asked yourself, why not me? What are the things keeping you from the life you think you want? Well, I suffer from this all the time, daily, you know, maybe even hourly. I'm in a field, a career where I stand in front of a mirror, half-dressed, leotard and tight, sweatpants, you know, coaxing my body into shapes that some would say God had absolutely no intention of us being in. Standing side by side with bodies that are thinner and younger and much more agile, mainly because they are thinner and younger. I've even asked, why not me when it comes to the everyday things? But this profession that I'm in, the one that I've chosen, is demanding, not just physically, but in every aspect, in every single part of my life. Now, I love being a member of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I love traveling the world, meeting new friends, having those friends become family, seeing new places and historic sites close up, all with my own eyes. And I love my job. I love my career. I love the life choice that I've made. But sometimes that love hurts, and it makes me feel separate. It separates me. So I honestly believe I was designed and made for the stage. You may have heard me say before that when I perform, I am at home. I am at home on stage. And my career started as an original member of Complexions, and then I joined Philodenko, the Philadelphia Dance Company. And in the year 2000, I joined the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Now, for more than, if you can add that up, for more than a quarter of a century, I have been doing and living and loving what I was designed to do. Many who read my resume or hear about my path would think that I'm living my absolute best life. And I am, I am. But I would have to say, even confess, that that was a hard way coming. I mean, I am a miracle. I am the thing that wasn't supposed to happen. I am the exception. The one with the, are you ready for this? Unorthodox physique. Now, according to Dance Magazine, I am the body that moves you in spite of how it looks. I don't fit the aesthetic. I am the other. But what is aesthetic? I mean, what does the word mean? (laughs) Um, I looked it up. Of course, I love to look up words when I'm trying to explain my point to you. I looked it up, and aesthetic is basically concerned with beauty. And then who decides what the aesthetic is? Well, the aesthete decides. The aesthete is a person who has or affects to have a special appreciation of art and beauty. But even that, what does that really mean? So I am so curious about who we have given authority over our minds, our thoughts of beauty, and our ideas of perfection and how to achieve it as the ultimate. Who has given them the authority to classify me as an other? Well, we have. We all have. We have all given away our authority, and we believe what they tell us. We have believed it. We continue to believe it. Now, I don't mean to get too heady, but this really concerns me. It concerns me as an artist, and it concerns me as an educator, especially in the new social media world order. Now, many of us, I do, feel that we all have to keep up with the social media to survive. We have to make sure and check the numbers. We have to make sure we're reaching all the people that we need to reach to get our voices heard. 
I have to even make sure that I am seen as beautiful for whomever is in that little room behind the curtain. It has affected me. I curate what goes on my pages. I curate what people see. And maybe something like this in your particular field or in your everyday life is affecting you too. So here's the truth. If you've never seen me or seen an image or seen me perform, I have a muscular build. That's the safe and politically correct way to say it. But to break it down, if I turn to the side, I don't look like a knife. And as a matter of fact, I have a pleasant front and backside. So it's okay to laugh because I'm okay with my body now, especially um, in the last 10 years, it's become super popular. I mean, reality TV has given the full thumbs up on booties. But at one point, it wasn't so in style, or at least I didn't feel I was so in style. And it took some real getting used to. I remember always being the other in some way. I am originally from Durham, North Carolina. I was brought up in a family of educators in the public school system, but I went to private school. From third grade through 12th grade, I was one of five or six black students in my class of almost 70. As a cheerleader in seventh and eighth grade, I was the only black girl on the squad. Even in my dance school, I was one of two blacks in the classes that I was in in the junior company and competition team. Now, when I attended Howard University in Washington, D.C., an historically black college and university, I thought that was going to change. But again, in some of the dance classes that I took, in some of the classes that I took even, I was one of few dark-skinned blacks. I mean, I am going to a, a school where the majority of people that are there are people of color, are blacks, African-Americans, Afro-Americans, I think that's what we were saying at the time. But you know what? I, I, I really couldn't believe that that's the distinction that I was given. But somehow, down deep, I knew that those experiences would inevitably, at some point, help me be prepared for the life ahead. I knew that I would often be the other in many situations, or at least that's what I told myself. And then I moved to New York City. I moved to New York to dance, just to see if I could really hang with the advanced boys and girls of the dance world. But soon, and very soon, I realized that I was the other in many ways. It wasn't so much that I was the only black one, but now I was the only really, really dark one. I was the one with short hair as I cut my hair that year, which was devastating to my southern mother, but that was, you know, that's another discussion altogether. And I remember being the one. Before the article in Dance Magazine even came out, I remember being the one with the unorthodox physique. This turned out to be pretty serious because I don't think it ever dawned on me while I was growing up that the size of my clothes was strange. If I liked an item, I looked for the item in my size and I bought the size that fit. But after being in New York for several months, I started to realize that my size was too big. And then I began to be obsessed with the things that I couldn't or didn't think I could wear. Not only did I start to even try in every single way under the sun to lose all the weight possible, I began to lose a sense of myself. So I couldn't compete, you know, with what some people had naturally, but it was clear that they were beautiful because they were thin and they were beautiful because they weren't as dark skinned as I was and am. It was simple. The truth, I wasn't beautiful, but it didn't make sense to me. 
because when I danced, when I performed, when I was at home, I'd found my place on stage, my beautiful place. This other, other thing really didn't matter, so I kept dancing. I kept dancing in spite of the no's that I heard, in spite of the no's that were implied, in spite of the looks, in spite of the not-today hopes. I danced because I loved it. I danced, and that became my new mission. Do it for me. Well, that's, again, what I told myself. It lasted about five, maybe even 15 minutes. Even though I said it to myself over and over and over again, I said I didn't need to be accepted because I loved what I do. But that's not true. We all want to be liked. We just don't want to want to be liked. So let me tell you the every day of my life for a little bit over 25 years the last 25 years. If I were to give this one a chapter, it would maybe be called the rehearsal studio chapter or how to even get into the room where it happens. Now, if you watch television or have seen movies about auditions, there is really not that much different about the way things work in my real dance life. A dancer must come in to the audition space, wait in line, turn in the headshot and the resume, get a number, pin it to your chest, and then stand in a crowded studio struggling to see the person demonstrating the steps and the choreography in the front of the room. So maybe about five or ten minutes later, each dancer is called by his or her number and asked to perform the choreography given. Good luck. And then there's a panel of people deciding your fate, sitting in the front of the room, ready to make a cut. They'll say thank you to some and please stay to others, to that fortunate few. And then it starts all over again, learning the next bit of information before the next cut. And then there's another cut and another cut until one or two people or however many people they're looking for that day are left. The fully exhausted dancers are waiting to hear the magic words, you're hired. Now, when I got my call, and I'd been accepted into the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, I knew I'd made it. I would learn everything I wanted to learn, dance all of the wonderful ballets I wanted to dance, and become all that I really wanted to be. And then I realized after even a week at work that the audition thing was not over, and that it will never be over. Every single time a new work came into the company, it started all over again. <laughs> like, what? So wait, we no longer wear numbers, but that's really almost the only difference. A group of people are still parked at the front of the room. We, the artists, standing side by side, half-dressed or judged on our ability and talents, and yes, our looks. Are we right for that particular part? Will we look good in the costume? Is she too old? Is she too heavy? Am I too other? The questions start flying in my head. Wait, you mean my reputation isn't good enough? The work I've done up till now isn't good enough? My work ethic means nothing? I'm no longer the flavor you like or want? My model has become obsolete? Is my beauty no longer accepted for what it was accepted for in the beginning? Have I gone out of style? Am I out of style? Has the aesthete gone home? Well, it feels like it. But does it really matter that I'm not chosen to be in the latest works? Does it mean that I'm not good anymore? Does this mean that it's time for me to give it all up? I mean, that's when I start to say again over and over, why not me? So I've been dancing professionally for over 25 years. I'm something, something old, if you know, I'm still not ready to tell you. And it's, it's definitely harder than it used to be. I'm still holding on. I think I'm holding on well, but the aches and pains of it all are just a fraction of the work. 
my metabolism has slowed down, my joints are more arthritic, and my will to keep up with my body's changes can sometimes feel like too much. Now I said it, and I'll say it over and over again. I love what I do, but it's some, some days it's hard to like it. You see, I will work to change what I absolutely have no control over and then throw my hands up at the things that I can't control. You know, and I've said before, I will do whatever it takes to change the wind's direction <laughs> or to keep the rain from falling, but sometimes refuse to bring a jacket or an umbrella for my own protection. I try to fix those things that I can't, but sometimes I have to tie my hands behind my back in order to keep me from protesting against myself, so self-sabotage, so to speak. For a long time, I was in the valley of my career, but I couldn't blame anyone but myself. I tried, though, but many of my truth-telling friends helped me to reroute this direction and pointed me toward the fact that it was fear. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I love this, this anagram of fear, false evidence appearing real. But fear is a feeling of something unwelcomed happening, a feeling of dread. Fear is a feeling. It's not a fact. And yes, I've asked myself up till now, almost every day, why not me? But it's, it's time for me to say, why not me? I was afraid. <laughs> there it goes again, you know, that idea of being afraid. And I still am, but afraid of being better. Maybe the hard work won't be enough. Maybe it's because I'm just not what they want. Maybe they won't like what I've written. Maybe they won't like the sound of my voice. But what if I am everything and it's still not enough. Am I wasting my time? It seems easier to settle. So I became complacent. I was watching people being given opportunities I knew would be perfect for me. And I began to slip into hopelessness, pun completely intended. I used my weight. I used my age. I used the aches and pains as a new platform, the platform of excuses. I would tolerate foolishness from anyone just to be liked, to be accepted. I was still at home on stage, and no one could deny that, and I can put on a good face, a performance face, when I was out and about, but I wasn't being my best self. Now, I've asked myself time and time again when this reality set in. Well, I think it set in for the first time about five years ago, and the last time it set in was just a few minutes ago before talking to you. You see, but I have my own lane and I have to remind myself of my own lane. If I spend time trying to conform to people around me, to be like them, then my shape changes. I am no longer me. I become a version of them. Why would I want to do that when I am absolutely enough? I am able and I am capable, so why not me? Well, what about the fear? What about the fear of not doing the very thing that gives me a voice? What if I do well? What if it makes me proud? You know, my personal success has been in the doing. So if I don't do it, who will? When I work with young people and work with young artists and young dancers, I love to teach. And, you know, in my, in my four-word mission, I am an educator first, an educator, a creator, a mover, and a motivator. But first, I am an educator. I stand on my soapbox and I tell them how perfectly and wonderfully made they are. I enforce the awesome list. I tell them, don't just add to a list of things you want to fix and correct, but each day you accomplish something, add to the list of what you've already done, who you already are. 
I want to make sure that they feel empowered for the work that they do, not for just what they want to continuously try to change. Admittedly, I rarely listen to my own words of wisdom, but I'm sure I'm not alone in this. So, so let me tell you, I looked up the word other, and the definition was all over the place, but here are some of the things that I liked, some of the things that I felt like were in context with me. Other was used to refer to a person or a thing that is different and distinct, further along, additional, opposite to something, or oneself set apart, apart from. If I am sometimes an other, I really have to be okay with it. You know, every day is a different day, and every day I will act and react according to me. So when I ask, what is it all for? I look in the mirror and know that I am a walking miracle. I am a miracle for some young artist to see and witness, and I can serve as an example to them. Maybe in my otherness, in my distinct, different abilities, they will see and find strength in theirs. So the question, the question still sits, why not me? Well, why not me? There is always going to be a reason to explain why I haven't been chosen to do the very thing that I'm capable of. My path may be to the right or left of that thing. Why not me? Why does it even matter that I want to be chosen? Well, when do I stop and choose me? Am I late? Is it too late? No, it's not too late. Why not work to be all that I can be? I don't want to give up. I haven't given up. And learning to be okay with being the other is going to be a daily fight, a daily mission, a daily work. The other in me is my own lane. Why should I try to mold myself to a world when all I'll be is misshapen and unlike the original design God had in mind? So I'm going to find ways to extract the strength in being the other in whatever I do. And I hope you do that same thing too. Although our world makes demands of us to be like what we see all around us, you know I love to say that we are exactly enough, beautifully and wonderfully made. Yes, we need to want to be our best selves all the time, and that's really important, but as there is nothing impossible for God, He has equipped us to be all that He has designed us to be. So, until next time, thank you for joining me in Hope Fall Moments. Thank you.